Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Let's face it, there's a lot you don't know about sickle cell disease. Like that it affects millions. People in almost all races. Black and white. Indian and Asian. Hispanic and Mediterranean. And that it can affect you or someone you love. No matter where you come from. Let's face it, there's a lot you don't know about sickle cell disease. And that's a disease too. Call the 211 info line to learn more. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter.com slash Joy Keys, and you can become a fan on Facebook. Just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm also now on Instagram. Check me out, Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. I also want to let you know if you tag me in a photo, you might win a prize. I'm going to be giving away a copy of the book, Jeffrey Renard's Allen's book, Song of the Shank, today. So definitely uh, tune in, tag me, check out on Twitter, Facebook. You might win a prize. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in and listening past a million downloads. I just can't believe that you guys are still listening to the show. I really appreciate that support, and I hope you've enjoyed the shows and passed them along to friends and family. Well, today, wow, prolific book, Close to 600 pages, Song of the Shank by Jeffrey Renard Allen. He's a professor now at UVA. Um, He has two collections of poetry, Stellar Places and Harbor and Spirits, and two works of fiction, uh, Rails Under My Back, which won the Chicago Tribune's Heartland Prize for Fiction, and the story collection Holding Pattern, which won the Ernest J. Gaines Award for Literary Excellence. Good morning, Jeffrey Allen. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Um, I know you're probably busy with kids and, and getting a new position, but I appreciate you coming on. I think the audience will also appreciate just learning about this um, immense story, which is partly true. Talk to the audience. Some parts of the story are true, correct? Yeah, I mean, the uh, book is loosely based on a real person, a, a guy named Thomas Green Wiggins, who was born a slave in Georgia in 1849, and who became a really a world famous pianist. Um, he essentially was the first African American to play at the White House, and this was when he was ten years old. So you know he was essentially a child prodigy and uh, possibly an autistic savant. You know he had this career that lasted from the time he was about six years old until he was well into his fifties. You know so pretty far into into the 19th century. Well, one of the sad parts about the story, which I hate to start with the sad part because there are some nice, happy parts, but is that he was a slave. You know, even um, though he seemed world famous, um, you know, he did he get any money from, I mean, how... I mean, people are always just taking care of him. Even I mean, I read your story, but I also read the reality and that 
you know, he could not seem to survive on his own, and he was still, he was also a piece of property. Right. I mean, uh, that's uh, very much true, you know. Um, as I was saying, he was born a slave in, in, in Georgia in 1849, and he was owned by a man named Thomas Bethune, who was an early advocate for Southern secession from the Union. So um, one of the great ironies of of uh, Thomas Wiggins' life, or, and I should say he played under the stage name Blind Tom. So one of the great ironies of Blind Tom's life is that, um, you know, he gained fame in the years before the Civil War and certainly during the Civil War. And because he was owned by this slave master who was a big advocate for the Confederacy, uh, Tom himself had to do, you know, give concerts and do other things in support of the Confederate cause. So he was this black slave who was on the international stage, but he was also out there supporting the Southern Confederacy, right? And yeah. um, in that sense, you know, you know, he never really gained anything for himself because he was indeed a slave and, and he was blind. So he was in a delicate position, not to mention he was a child when he began playing publicly, you know? Yeah, I mean, they started him, he was five or six. It was very... I'm not sure if you, how true your story is connected to the reality, but the way in your story, very devious, even as a baby almost, I, I seem like maybe one or two, that they took, the Bassoon family took him from his mother and wanted to keep him at the house. Um, that was just like, as a mother, to lose a child. One of the interesting things you do bring up about his mother, and I'm not sure if I read this correctly in the story, that she had other kids taken from her, or did she have other abortions? I wasn't sure what I was reading a certain section in there. Um, I know she had girls, but but she there's a point where she was talking about she couldn't remember the names, and there was a certain um, thing she did. Was that true? What were you trying to say there about the mother? Yeah, maybe that needs some explanation. Um, so, so Tom's mother, Charity, was actually you know she was as many slaves where she was owned by several masters. Um, so this, so the master that who had her was this man named Mr. Wiggins. And it was seen that she had a number of children uh, while she was with Mr. Wiggins who were sold off, you know, onto, onto other plantations and such as was commonly mm-hmm. the case. Right. So then um, it, it was the general Bethune who bought her and he's, from what I was reading in the historical record, I mean, uh, he essentially purchased her and her surviving kids and her husband, and the baby, Tom, was kind of thrown in for free, you know, because he yeah. was considered uh, an idiot, you know, given that he was blind and, and, and that kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things in the book, each chapter you have a slightly different picture. In the beginning you have a lot of kind of look like wood carvings, um, some of the other ones. One of the real crazy ones was a sculpture, like a guitar man. That yeah. Was kind of interesting. What was that about? Um, is is there? Is, uh, what was your? How did you decide on the pictures that were going? You know. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things I was trying to do because this is a you know this is a novel which is about a man who was blind. Uh, I thought it was important to have a lot of elements of light and darkness in the book and also a lot of elements of things that, that are actually seen and things that are not seen. 
Um, mm-hmm. So the pictures, so the pictures are in, in many ways a complement to the story. And um, you know, I did a lot of research for the novel, and at some point, I began to think about certain images that would work well in the book. And I came across this image actually. It's um, it's an image of a kora, you know, which is the African string instrument. Uh, mm-hmm. in many West African societies. So I, I was thinking that. A, I was thinking, but I wasn't yeah. sure. I, I was thinking that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So uh, I saw this image of a kora, which was which was in this, which was you know carved in the shape of a man, and it seemed like a very visual symbol of Tom himself, who was uh, essentially bound to his instrument. You know, I mean, his the fact that he was this great piano player was both a blessing and a curse for him. Uh, and then it was a bit ironic later that when the book was reviewed in the New York Times, you know, for the cover story, in fact, for the New York Times book review, that the artist they chose uh, drew this image of blind Tom Chaint with piano, you know, which I thought mm. was another interesting compliment to his situation, yes. Yeah. You also, we talked before we got on about the light and the dark, and you just mentioned that, um, in a sense, um, there's in your writing there's a lot of reference to the light coming through the window and and brushing over the table and uh, all that now because i remember now is this purposeful because i remember at one point one of the doctors that reviewed tom said he could see light possibly right now right. i'm not sure if that's something that you kind of grasp on and then use that in your writing i'm, I'm not sure that yeah i mean um that's very much true in, in terms of the actual facts. Uh, I believe one of the doctors who examined him, actually pretty late in his life, said that he uh, he, he was not completely blind but could actually see some light. Um, I don't know how really relevant that was to his condition. But, um, yeah, one of the things in the book that, that I was really interested in was this idea of, you know, how much just the fact that race you know, and racial identity is is based on, uh, you know, visual matters. And so mm-hmm. I was really curious about that in terms of Tom. I mean, given that he was not, you know, given that he was not able to see the world, uh, I was curious to what degree that, that these constructions about race mean anything to him. You know, he was a blind man. He couldn't see white people. Uh, he couldn't see black people. I mean, those categories probably meant very little to him. So, um, so I tried to do a lot in the book, just playing on on visual images, which involve questions of race and and such. And um, in many ways, I try to overturn certain kinds of racial assumptions and certain assumptions we have about slavery. So, for example, when the book first opens, uh, Tom is in the care of a white woman, the widow of his former manager. And um, mm-hmm. I would say throughout the course of the novel, he probably has the closest relationship with anyone with with her, um, and that was in part also based. Now on that was interesting. Race. She they even took yeah. a bath together. They even took baths right. together. Now that was a little odd. I was like, what is he saying here? Is this incestuous almost? It felt like he was taking a bath with his mom, but he was seventeen years old or something. I mean, what was that right. about it, the bath? Because yeah, he wouldn't fact, take was, it. She said without him. Right. That's that's in fact the passage I was going to read. Um, should I read that now or? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So his skin is ready. He holds his arms closely to his chest as if determined to guard this limited part of his nakedness, and wobbles 
toward the tub, hauls his legs up one after the other over the high porcelain side, and joins her neck deep in high islands of foam. It's the only way she can get him to bathe, the two of them together, two huddled forms stationed at either end of the tub, face to face, an archipelago of suds between them, two bodies peeling away layer by layer, soap the substance that obscures when it is smeared across cheek and brow, nose and chin, before running white fingers over muscle, bone, soft places, hard places, nose them all, making it hard to tell which leg or elbow, one outside, one inside, belongs where to whom. She reaches to slow down his wild, hurried hands. Rebuff cut short. They go moving like dark fish through the water, swimming to another world. She grows considerate, guides him back, hands that worked his heart returning as running away in her face, downstroking her shoulders, throwing warmth across her breast until he takes tight hold of her silent back. She lets his touch linger, feeling the power of his fingers, this body embracing her, reminding her that she is not alone. Maybe I should stop there with the passage. So, um, yeah, one of the things that I was trying to show there is that there is a, a affinity, you know, closeness between the two characters, even if it's not necessarily sexual. But um, mm-hmm. the idea is that, you know, she is Tom's caretaker, and given the fact that he's blind, you know, given the fact that he may be an you know, autistic person or an autistic savant, but given the fact that he's blind and a musician is enough, you know, he is a difficult person for her to handle. And he's also, sex, you know, 17 years old, so uh, he has sexual feelings, and she is the only female that he has any contact with. Um, so that's one of the things I was trying to suggest there, you know. Yeah, definitely. Another, uh, in terms of the light and dark, um and doubles, if you will. There's a there's a there's a preacher near the end called Double, a character which I that was a really interesting character. And I kept saying, what is his name? Double is he, you know, right. he's mixed. That was a double. He's he is black and white. But then near the end, which oh, I hate to give away this little part, but is he a twin? Because I was like, what do you do? Are you faking us out here? I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, I was trying to leave leave that up to the reader, really. But uh, the scene you're talking about is one where he's given a sermon, and apparently he actually transforms into two people, <laughs> you know, which uh, freaks out one of the main characters in the novel. Um, yeah. Well, you know, one of the yeah you know, one of the ideas in the book really, uh, you know, uh, what, I guess one thing I should say, like the book is a is a consideration in some ways of questions of terrorism and violence and, uh, you know, certainly questions of racial injustice. And the premise of the novel, uh, and this premise is largely based around a real event. I mean, uh, in addition to Tom's slavery, the novel um, looks some, something somewhat at the Civil War draft riots in New York City in 1863. Um mm-hmm which were probably the worst race riots in American history for, for those who don't know. And um, essentially many African-Americans were attacked and killed during the riots, uh, you know, because they were, they were being blamed for having to, by, by whites for having to enlist uh, to, to join the, the civil war. Civil, and, yeah, um, civil war. Yeah. 
so in the novel, what happens? So that be, that becomes a one of the big moments of the novel, and uh, and and my novel, you know, kind of expands upon that idea, and and to such a degree that all the blacks of New York leave, uh, leaving Tom as the only black person in the city in the care of this woman Eliza, and uh, but this cycle of violence and persecution uh, continues in the novel. So so this double character that you mention um he is advocating a violent response to violence against blacks and uh and he's also something of a nationalist and black nationalism wait we're losing you a little bit jeffrey i'm sorry Could... oh i'm sorry uh can you hear me okay yeah. now or yeah, yeah. So i can hear you clearly now yeah all right I was just saying that black nationalism was a part, a uh, big part of American conversation in the 19th century because, um, you know, many people, black, both black and white, weren't convinced that black people could be come, you could be fully accepted into the American system. That is to say, that the white people would fully accept them on equal terms, and so for that reason, many uh, people advocated the separation. Uh, black people. Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, one of the um, one of the beautiful scenes um, were the gentlemen, the, the 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 soldiers, the black soldiers. They were, I guess, in the back of a church or in a room, and they yeah. did the washing of the feet. That was a really beautiful, I think, a scene that would, I think, it would help today. You know, with African American men and the issues of intimacy and support. Um, Forget about just religion or God or anything. Just that act of washing another's feet, dirty feet, and they're going yeah. around. That was such a beautiful um, scene for me. And as a matter of fact, I visualize your book being a movie. It might have to be or a tele- television series. It might have to be like two or three nights, okay? But I'm serious. Okay. you got to work on that. I'm going to put it into the universe that it should be either a television series or, like, a major film, Oprah. I could see Oprah doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I should say that I have been approached by some producers and so on, and I'm hoping that eventually I'll, I'll sign an actual contract with, <laughs> with, one, with one person to do a film. So I'm pretty close to that point, but it hasn't quite happened yet. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, where did you get the watching of the feet? Because I've seen that in some, like, Amish like I think it was like Amish or something films or something, the washing of the feet. Is that a true actual uh, religious act in certain sects, or is that just something that is, is kind of been used in, in, in uh, movies and books and things? Yeah, I mean, it, it was primarily my invention. It was essentially a, a kind of takeoff on the Last Supper, you know, um, where – where Christ, uh, you know, put himself on the same level as his disciples. Uh, so that was part of the part of the notion. This brotherhood that's formed by by twenty black men, um, no matter what, you know, faces them. That's the idea. Yeah. Now yes. let's move to um, let's move to uh, you were talking again about the issues of race, but let's talk about how African Americans perceived other African Americans. For example, there's the the character Seven, and he's African American. He's owned by um, I think the guy's name is uh, Perry. Uh, Perry Oliver. I think his name yes. is yeah Perry Oliver. Right. He says, "When are we going to get a nigger?" There's right. also a scene where Tom is saying, "Oh, I know, like he knows that this person he's speaking with is a nigger." 
Now, you say he can't see, but somehow he knows probably like the tone of the voice um, and the way others are talking to the individual. He knows that this is a is a black person. Um, right. But then there's a beautiful scene where Eliza and them, in the, near the beginning, where they're getting on the train and there's a black person helping them. Yes. Who's very eloquently dressed. Now, did that person know maybe that was Blind Tom and was feeling like, wow, I get to help Blind Tom? What was that about? I wasn't sure. Yeah, so that's what uh, so like Tom and, and Elias are out in the country into the city. Oh, wait, you're you're drifting out a little bit. Sorry, I'll come back. Uh, I'm sorry, can you hear me okay now? Or Yeah, I can hear you now. Are, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was saying that uh, Elias and Tom are returning uh, back to the city. Yes, and so they meet this man who helps them with their luggage. And, yeah, that was the idea uh was to show that he recognizes this person as Blind Tom. And so for that reason, he has a tremendous amount of uh, respect for him and pride for him, no matter, you know, what Tom's affinities were in terms of the Civil War and that kind of thing. Um, But I was also really interested, too, in just, you know, sort of taking off from the actual facts of Tom's story. And and so one of the characters in my novel is called Tabs Gross, and uh, he's based on a real person. And um, mm. I don't know, yeah, don't know a whole lot about the actual tab gross. But uh, what did happen in actuality is he sued General Bethune Court in Cincinnati. So he and the general had entered into a business arrangement where, by um, uh, the general was to give uh, Tom over to Tab so that Tom so that Tabs could bring Tom to stage and make money. And um, mm-hmm. I, you know. Just my reading of that was, uh, you know, was that Tabs himself was not concerned about Tom's well-being, but he was only concerned with Tom as a as a product uh, that he can make money off of. So I tried to have a, a range of relationships in that way. Uh, and a lot of that, again, stemmed from, in part, from some of the ambiguities of our race uh, regarding Tom. Like uh, just one thing, I'll, one more thing I'll say about that. Uh, in the original record, I read this really interesting thing that happened where Tom was somewhere uh, to give, you know, some town giving a concert or about to give a concert and he went out to have his shoes uh, shine or blacken as it was, as it was called at the time. And the shoe blackers mm-hmm. were, were young African-American kids, you know, and uh, supposedly Tom said, uh, you know, speaking about himself in third person, you know, he said, um, Tom won't have his shoes blacked by no niggers. And he walked off. So uh, mm. it's really a yeah, really interesting moment, uh, you know, and I thought about it in many ways. Does that mean that, that Tom, you know, was completely brainwashed and he bought into this whole system of white racism and slavery? Or was it that, right. uh, another way of looking at it, maybe nice how that how these kids were being exploited in the same way that he, he was himself, and um, for that reason, he didn't want to participate in the exploitation. So I wanted to have those range of possibilities in the novel when it came to black interaction, you know, from the extremely positive to the extremely negative in some instances. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's so... Because I think it does define our life here in America even now, yes. Right, I was going to say that even now, it's still an issue, light, dark, um, yes. You know, yes. and who who was black enough? Who who was who was white enough? Because now, if you go into say the ghettos of America, and you'll see you know white 
uh, poor white people have overtaken the black culture, if you will, listening to rap right. music, wearing the clothes, even getting their hair done a certain way. Um, and even across the globe, black culture has been taken, um, you know, in Japan, um, people are trying to get dreadlocks and, and, and listen to rap right. music. I mean, so so are they black? You know what I mean? Or, 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 and, and, right. and I, who's a black person who's light and listens to, say, you know, classical music, am I not black? Right, and you that's know, an interesting the, thing because, yeah, Tom was a classical musician, essentially. But, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's one of the problems with the race when it comes to black people is race has always been a question of limitation. You know, blackness is only this one thing and not something else, you know, as if uh, we don't have a range of expressions and a range of e- emotional abilities, you know, one of the America. Yeah, I think that limits ourselves because if we believe, if we drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, then right, we limit right. ourselves. We limit ourselves exactly. to where we can go and who we can be, who our children can be. Um, and and there are many times I'm in conversations with black people, and it's like, oh, you know, a black person going to do that. You ain't never going to see no black serial killer. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Well, that was, uh, Not that we want to be serial reasons. killers, but, you know. <laughs> right. And that was one of the things that really drew me to Blind Tom's story because, um, you know, first of all, he was this guy who's been forgotten and, um, you know, forgotten from history, essentially, and that's largely because people have all these all of these assumptions about who he was, you know, and, and so if you say he was a savant, then people assume that, uh, you know, he had no kind of true creative talent. And, uh, you know, when early in my research, I ran across an article that said something um, very condescending, like, um, you know, Blind Tom was lucky that, uh, you know, because he was black and, and an idiot, uh, his idiocy and his blindness kept him from knowing that he was black and a slave, you know. I mean, like, you know, how would that person <laughs> know what Blind Tom was thinking, you know? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, as, well, as much as yes, I was going to no, just say, ahead, as sorry, much as Blind Tom's as Blind Tom's life was about limitation and you know and exploitation, it was also about you know creation and uh, the many things he achieved, you know. Yeah, I mean, in your story, it seems as though you know he definitely was aware, um, but because of his autism, I think he went in and out of the awareness. You know what I'm saying? That maybe um, he. Could he had control at some times, but other times he couldn't, you know. And in reality, people who have autism, they are on a spectrum. You know, there are some people right. who are extremely disabled, if you will, and there are others who are very conscious and aware and working and living around you, um, you know, could have Asperger's and different things that, that they can still function. Right. And you may not know, you know, oh, this person has autism, if you will. Um, and right. then there's um, other people that know are, are at the far end if you will so i, I think you can't you nobody knows what blind tom was thinking uh except for the people maybe very close to him you know one of the real quick we get running out of time but the issue of family okay we talk about race well who belongs to who you know who's black who's white but in terms of family who is family and right one of the interesting things you brought up in the book is that general bethune wanted to take tom back because he was like, this is a family matter. I started laughing. Like, are you serious, <laughs> <Right>. dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but, I mean, that was uh, actually kind of what happened in reality, though. You know, again, uh, what, in, in that court case I mentioned between Tabs and Junior Bethune, the judge, you know, um, 
uh, basically ordered uh, Tom to be given back to General Bethune because he said that uh, Tom was an idiot and General Bethune would be the best person to take care of him. You know, and this was in Cincinnati after the Civil War. So, I mean, um, you know, so, yeah, so, I mean, Tom, in, in fact, did really lose most of his family ties. I mean, uh, once he was taken from his mother, I mean, uh, he was owned in, in, in the company of other people and really didn't have family ties, you know. Yeah, I felt sad about that because um, his mom, um, there were some scenes, and again, you go in, it seems like you go, in and out of like these dream states that you're writing um, where people are dreaming, but then they wake up. I'm not sure. It was hard to tell sometimes, but with the mother, there was a scene of, he told her, don't ever touch him like that again or something. Now, was that in her dream or was that, was that reality or was that just representing how she could never connect back to Tom? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I was trying to show. Like, uh, you know, I'm, and this is an exaggeration again of some of the actual facts of Tom's life. But in the novel, the idea is that she hasn't really seen Tom in 13 years, and so you know, and, and given that there has been this long distance, the, the idea in the book is that uh, you know Tom doesn't really know her anymore. I mean, uh, mm-hmm, he was taken mm-hmm. away from her when he was very young, and he doesn't know her. Um, so yeah, so for that reason, he can't connect with her. He can only connect with um, the people who've been more immediate and it's, you know, immediately around him, such as the Eliza character, the woman who takes care yeah. of him, you know, yeah. So, wow. but uh, there well, are, you've done there a... are, I think there are, oh, I was going to say, I think there are other uh, positive uh, depictions of family in the book as well, though, at least hopefully there are, <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, there, there are. Um, and I encourage others to read the book Song of the Shanks by Jeffrey Allen, I'm Jeffrey Bernard Allen. I'm going to be giving away a copy of your book. You can also check out more about him on his website. He has a website, jeffreybernardallen.com, to learn more about his different writings. Um, And right now you said you're UVA, correct? I am, yes. I've been here about six weeks now, having left New York City, yes. So uh, I've been a city guy all my life. (laughs) Yes, well, thank Uh you so much. Oh, you're a city guy. Yeah, I've been a city guy all my life. Now I'm in the country, right? But I'm enjoying it. Wait, so, you know what? Yeah. That's funny because your character, Eliza, she's a city gal all her life, and then she went to the country where Tom, Tom was really comfortable, and she was like, I don't know if I could stay in the country. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, <it's> interesting <laughs> irony how life works sometimes, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and I wish you much success right. at UVA, and also can't wait for your new novel that will be coming out, I'm sure, soon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, hopefully once I write it. <laughs> but thank you for having me. It's been a Oh, and wait, honor. definitely call me Call me about the movie. I, I really, I'm really, i really backing you on the movie. I think Song of the Shank would be oh. a great movie or television series. Yeah, I have to get those producers to move on, move their feet some then. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thank chop, you. chop. <laughs> yes, all thank right. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with Jeffrey Renard Allen talking about his book, Song of the Shank. Uh, Please check him out, jeffreybernardallen.com, to learn more about him. I'll be giving away a copy, so follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Uh, Become a fan on Facebook. Um, Look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And also check me out on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Thank you so much. Have a great Saturday. Let's face it. There's a lot you don't know about sickle cell disease. Like that it affects millions. 
People in almost all races. Black and white. Indian and Asian. Hispanic and Mediterranean. And that it can affect you or someone you love. No matter where you come from. Let's face it, there's a lot you don't know about sickle cell disease. And that's a disease too. Call the 211 Info Line to learn more. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.